Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters Weekly Podcast, where we casually ramble on about important topics, including the markets, the economy, human ingenuity, and almost anything under the sun, giving you the keys to unlock the mysteries of the markets and investing. Today is Friday, March 10th, 2023. I'm your host, Brian Peter Angelo, and welcome to the podcast. With me today, I'd like to introduce our panel of investing experts here to provide their insights on this week's market activity. George Mateo, Chief Investment Officer. Rajiv Sharma, Head of Fixed Income. Cindy Honcharenko, Senior Fixed Income Portfolio Manager. And Mike Schroda, Senior Lead Equity Analyst. As a reminder, a lot of great content is available on key.com slash wealth insights, including updates from our Wealth Institute on many different subjects, and especially our Key Questions article series, addressing a relevant topic for investors each Wednesday. In addition, if you have any questions or need more information, please reach out to your financial advisor. And taking a look at this week's news, we've got a lot of information to discuss with a lot of activity happening during the week. So we will cover on today's call a lot of information, so stick with us. First, we'll be giving you an update on Jay Powell's Senate Banking Committee testimony, where he talked a lot about policy and what the Fed might be thinking. Also, earlier in the week, we had the JOLT report, which came out at 10.8 million jobs in the month of January, which was down for the month of December a little bit, showing some easing in the jobs market. Also on Wednesday, we had the beige book come out from the Federal Reserve in terms of their overall economic update, and the economic data was split. About six of the 12 districts across America were showing expansionary economies, and the other six were showing basically flat or stagnant in economies. So we'll continue to talk about that as we look at the overall economy. And then yesterday on Thursday, we had initial unemployment claims, which actually ticked up for the first time in a long while, up to 211,000 initial unemployment claims filed, up from 190,000 in the prior week. And finally, today, we've got the report earlier on the overall employment picture, where 311,000 new non-farm payrolls were created in the month of February, which was higher than the expected amount of roughly 250,000, again, showing some resiliency, as we have talked about from time to time on this particular podcast. And the overall unemployment rate, which is a lagging indicator, ticked up to 3.6% from 3.4%, again, showing a little bit of mixed signals. And finally, we'll have Mike Schroeder on the call with the update on what's happening in the banking sector right now with a couple newsworthy items in the banking industry. So with that, let's turn to Cindy first. In terms of Cindy, what's the update on what you heard Jay Powell say in terms of the Senate Banking Committee testimony, and what are your thoughts in terms of the reaction? Cindy? So in his prepared testimony before the Senate Banking Committee on Tuesday, Fed Chair Jerome Powell opened the door to increasing the pace of rate hikes. The upcoming data, today's non-farm payroll report and next week's CPI will need to decide if the Fed follows up with a more aggressive policy action in two weeks. In what looked like a repeat of his stern, concise Jackson Hole speech last year, Powell demonstrated high conviction and remained resolute to the stay of the course until the job is done mantra to conquer inflation. The ultimate level of interest rates is likely to be higher than previously anticipated. If the totality of the data were to indicate that faster tightening is warranted, we would be prepared to increase the pace of rate hikes. That was a key quote right there. The readiness to tighten policy more aggressively if the data warrants was taken out of the context of the usual boilerplate language. We could go faster, we could go slower, depending on the incoming data. 
While the Fed almost always follows a balanced approach, the omission of the downside scenario in Powell's remarks was intentional, in my opinion. The tone of the testimony hints at some buyer's remorse over the decision to downshift so swiftly at the last two meetings. This is not only due to the recent upside surprises in the data, but also due to up, upward revisions to inflation. Powell appeared to almost go as far to say, had we seen the data as it currently stands, we would not have downshifted to 25 basis points on February 1st. Another key quote, the breadth of the re reversal along the re revisions to the previous quarter suggests that inflationary pressures are running high, higher than expected at the time of our previous Federal Open Market Committee meeting. Going to day two, his testimony in front of the House Financial Services Committee was pretty uneventful with one notable exception. As the chair was rereading his prepared remarks, he chose to emphasize the optionality and data dependency surrounding the March FOMC meeting decision. While prepared remarks are usually identical, the chair stressed the word if and added a qualifier to written script if, and I stress, no decision has been made on this. But if the totality of the data were to indicate that faster tightening is warranted, we would be prepared to increase the pace of rate hikes. So while it could have looked like he was trying to walk back the hawkus message from the day before, in my view, it was simply a reminder that the actual decision will be highly data dependent. The market reaction to the qualifying language was short-lived. Uh, so the totality of, lab of the available labor market data confirms Powell's assessment of how extremely tight the labor market is. And we saw that from today's non-farm payroll report. Yeah, Cindy, I think you're right to call those things out. I mean, it still strikes me that the Fed is uh, a little bit confused, like the rest of us, in terms of really where the strength of the market is. And I think they're kind of also a bit confused about how how high they can take interest rates uh, before the inflation comes down and what the impact would be on the economy as a result of that. And today's um, today's jobs report probably, you know, did a little to clarify that. I mean, there were some some signs of strength. You know, we got a little better than expected number in terms of the number of jobs that were added. Um, but some of the numbers were kind of trending a, a little bit weaker, not to say that uh, things are slowing down, but just at the margin, they're not maybe quite as hot as they were. So this this testimony that you uh, you 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 summarize so well, I think is really important because the Fed is trying to formulate their own opinion probably in real time. And uh, and frankly, doesn't have to make a decision today. Maybe that's probably the, the, best, the best silver line we can take from this. In other words, we still got um, next week's in inflation report that'll probably have a really outsized influence on what the Fed ultimately decides to do. That's my guess, and we'll have to see how that plays out. You know, I think there's some big uh, weakness in the, the banking sector overall that uh, deserves uh, mentioned that might be kind of factoring their calculus a little bit. And at the margin, perhaps, you know, maybe it's slightly less concerning to the Fed about inflation and maybe slightly more concerning about just the impact that they're having on the economy. I think it's too early to make that statement definitively in the sense that the Fed probably wants to see a bit more data before they decide, gee, we've, we've done too much and the economy started to be uh, be penalized for this. Because, as you mentioned, coming into this uh, this week, all evidence was suggesting the economy was actually inflecting higher. You know, we had some numbers that suggest that used car prices had bounced up quite a bit in February. Uh, home prices have kind of stabilized a little bit, but certainly other parts of the economy that we've talked about in the, on these, these podcasts and other places like the services sector have also done quite well. So, you know, it's been really a confusing week, I think, to say the least. 
Uh, and so, Rajiv, where, what's your take on kind of where the Fed is right now? Well, then they go 25 basis points or 50. There's a lot of debate. Well, then how much they can actually uh, raise rates uh, going, for, going forward from here. Uh, good question, George. And, and I think one of the most important things is this has been one of those weeks where we had a lot of information coming at us. And the Fed has to deal with this information as well. Um, the Fed has openly said that they're going to be data dependent. And uh, with that upside beat in jobs data, we have to think about what the Fed really makes of that information. Uh, the strength of the payrolls number and, and it keeps the argument of 50 basis points for the next Fed rate hike alive. Um, that was quite a number. But the revisions were negative. Wage growth was lower than expected. Unemployment ticked up. The number isn't at a hawkish number if you think of it in totality. And we did see Treasury's rally on the jobs report number that was released. Uh, uh, so this this could be part of uh, concerns about the banking system. This could also be part of concerns about uh, you know, what would happen if the Fed actually went up 50 basis points? Does that change the whole narrative? Uh, this certainly, uh, you know, we did see, as I said, uh, Treasuries looked at this, these numbers and started rallying. And it does give the Fed a reason to do 25 basis points rather than 50 basis points this month. And it, in turn, also provides some comfort to those financial assets that we're talking about. Uh, treasuries, rally, really, um, treasuries really focus on the higher than expected unemployment figure and the 34,000 downward uh, revision in uh, two-month net payrolls. If you look at the rates market, the probability of a 50 basis point rate hike in March was higher than before that report released. But now the probability has dipped below 50% right after the jobs report uh, came out. We do have that CPI next week. That's going to be the decider. Uh, the Fed certainly does not want 25 basis points to look like a dovish move. Uh, so they're going to have to be very careful about that as well. It could be perceived as a dovish move, even though it was that was the move that everybody expected just a few weeks ago. But where we are today, I feel the Fed goes 25 basis points come March 22nd. Uh, if you look at uh, what's going to be really important, I think, for that Fed meeting on March 22nd is going to be the summary of economic projections by the Fed. And that's going to be available to us at the next FOMC meeting. I would anticipate that we see higher terminal rates, but maybe shorter than 6%, short of 6%. So maybe we could see something around the lines of maybe 550 to 560 as the terminal rate that we'll see in those summer of economic projections. That would give the two-year some room because we're rallying right now in the two-year. If we saw something like that from the summer of economic projections in March, uh, March 22nd, the two-year could have some room to move back towards 5%. So with the jobs report and the headlines about banking sectors, uh, the market has really reduced the likelihood of a Fed raising rates by 50 basis points. Mike, what do we make of all these headlines for banks right now? Hey, thanks, Rajiv. Uh, wow, what a wild week for banks, though. Like it's just uh, like it's just a crazy, rocky week to say the least. Um, we've had uh, two banks really take it on the chin, and uh, one, both of these are really niche banks, and one well known for its uh, involvement with the crypto ecosystem actually announced that it's winding down operations and voluntarily liquidating the bank. Um, and then we had another that is more of a venture capital specific bank that also uh, had to raise capital with fleeing deposits um, and restructuring its portfolio uh, from a longer duration to a shorter duration and also raising equity. And this came at a huge cost and it really hammered the bank and investors uh, reacted very poorly. Now this all coupled and just brought down the sentiment of the sector so that we've seen the bank index drop uh, 7.7% uh, yesterday, and then down 12% on the week, and further down, furthering down today, um, with select banks also citing funding pressures. So 
you have what is uh, two banks that are really specific with their funding. So you have one that was very exposed to crypto and you have one that was exposed to venture capital and let's say tech. So when you have some sort of run on the bank and some sort of funding uh, issues, they're going to be far more exposed than a more of a traditional bank that's very diversified. So I think the main takeaway here is that the funding diversification is very important to a bank. So uh, looking at larger banks that have, you know, operate in many different arenas, they play in a lot of different um, um, uh, environments. Uh, these, these banks should have stickier deposits and also uh, more um, uh, funding uh, diversification. So I think it's important to note that these are isolated incidents. Um, other banks have different structures that uh, keep them um, in a better position to manage through uh, environments like this. It's going to be interesting to watch what happens to banks that have similar profiles as uh, these two banks uh, that struggled this week. Uh, we've seen a couple banks today take it on the chin because they have a very similar, uh, could, be, could be market interpreting it as more of a uh, similar funding component, you know, high net worth clients or um, exposure to crypto again. So uh, we'll be watching that. But I think it's really the main takeaway is to watch these, these large banks, see how they perform. It, this is, they're, the better, they're better capitalized than the uh, pre-GFC uh, era. So we're looking at uh, total loans to uh, total deposits that are much stronger than they were pre-GFC. We're looking at tier one capital ratios that are much stronger than pre-GFC. So I, we could almost use some of these as buying opportunities going forward. Uh, you're going to want to look for these strong, high-quality, well-diversified banks to uh, make it through this uh, rough patch here. I think uh, I think Mike, it's going to be a bit of a rough patch, probably a bit longer. I mean, um, my experience is that these things take some time to work themselves out. Uh, I agree with you overall that the banking sector is much better capitalized than it was prior to the great financial crisis of some 15 years or so ago. Um, but these things will take some time. I think this is going to probably be a bit of a, a noisy, uh, noisy spring and summer. Unfortunately, um, you know, we haven't even talked about that debt ceiling and some other things that are circling around out there. But I, I guess, you know, from from my perspective, Rajiv, I think you're right to say that the Fed's got a lot of things on their plate to digest too. Uh, not the least of which, of course, is the inflation report coming out next week. So I think it's probably again, it's it's, it's important to really remain really fully diversified. I mean, we've been trying to emphasize the theme for a while now. Uh, building resilient portfolios that can withstand some of these pressures and kind of uh, knowing that volatility is always just right on the corner and that uh, that became front and center this past week. So we remain in the camp that we want to be uh, very diversified. Uh, fully diversified is our, our, is our theme. Uh, we're kind of taking a neutral position towards risk overall. And really, as, as Rajiv and Steve has talked about uh, on their comments with respect to their portfolios that they manage for us, uh, really emphasizing high quality assets and high quality securities. And thanks to all of our panelists for today's conversation. We certainly appreciate your insights. And thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe to the Key Wealth Matters podcast through your favorite podcast app. And as always, past performance is no guarantee of future results, and we know your financial situation is personal to you. So reach out to your relationship manager, portfolio strategist, or financial advisor for more information, and we'll catch up with you next week to see how the world and the markets have changed and provide those keys to help you achieve your financial success.
The Key Wealth Matters podcast is produced by the Key Wealth Institute. The Key Wealth Institute is comprised of financial professionals representing key entities, including key private bank, key bank institutional advisors, key private client, and key investment services. Any opinions, projections, or recommendations contained herein are subject to change without notice and are not intended as individual investment advice. This material is presented for informational purposes only and should not be construed as individual tax or financial advice. Bank and trust products are provided by Key Bank National Association, a member of FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. Key Private Bank and Key Bank Institutional Advisors are part of Key Bank. Investment products, brokerage, and investment advisory services are offered through Key Investment Services, LLC, or KISS, a member of FINRA, SIPC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Insurance products are offered through Key Corp Insurance Agency, USA Incorporated, or KIA. KISS and KIA are affiliated with Key Bank. Investments in insurance products are not FDIC-insured, not bank-guaranteed, may lose value, not a deposit, not insured by any federal or state government agency. KeyBank and its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult their personal tax advisor before making any tax-related investment decisions. This content is copyrighted by KeyCorp 2023.